This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It's game week once again for ECU football. They are traveling to Tulsa on Friday night, a nice 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern kickoff time for the Pirates and the Golden Hurricane as ECU looks to bounce back from the loss to Navy. Tulsa coming in at 2-1. and one. ECU coming in at 1-3, one 1-2 and one and in the American Athletic Conference. And joining me this week on the podcast, he is a second-time guest now of the podcast and he is Bobby Harward. Bobby, we had to bring you back because you were the good luck charm for the South Florida game. So you're going to be able to bring that good luck once again this time. I sure hope so. Uh, Tulsa is a little bit uh, more difficult of a task than the, the South Florida bulls, but hopefully uh, can bring some good luck in a, in a W uh, not enjoying the 9 PM start time, but am excited to see how this team bounces back after uh, a pretty solid showing against Navy in a bye week. So, yeah, well, let's talk about the nine nine p.m. start real quick. Are you going to be able to stay up for that with a, a little one at home? Uh, I'll be able to stay up for it. It'll actually be easier to watch it because she will be uh, well uh, in bed um, with the with the uh, what is it the time change this weekend. Uh, we're pushing her bedtime back a little bit, but I'll still be able to stay up and watch. My concern is falling asleep on the couch, um, being that I am pushing thirty here in the next month or so. Uh, so I could fall asleep halfway through the third quarter. Yeah, I would love to to be able to sleep right after this game, but I'm probably gonna be up till 4 a.m. working, unfortunately. So that's the that's the bad thing about it. But uh, let's dive into this matchup, Bobby. Uh, a lot of intrigue, and I, th- I think we all expected Tulsa to be good this year, given what we saw last year. I mean, we talked about it. They were the best four win team in the country last year. They look like a good looking football team, and a lot of those guys are back. Uh, specifically on the O-line and D-line. They are huge in the trenches. And you look at on the depth chart, uh, they have a 350-pound nose tackle. Both their starting offensive tackles are 330, 320-plus. Uh, uh, pretty much everybody on their offensive front averages around 320. They're just a big physical team, and and I think that's a big part of their success. But the, the one thing I, that stands out to me about this team is they don't really seem to have many weaknesses. They seem balanced offensively and defensively. Just from what you've seen with Tulsa, and ECU going into this game, kind of what are your impressions of the Golden Hurricane first? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, the best four-win team in the country last year. Um, I mean, we, we saw what they did coming into Greenville, um, taking us to the woodshed um, and, and running us off the field last year. Um, they're, I'm assuming, returning most of their starters. And like you said, they're just solid across the board. Um, they have a couple of great players here. Had some key positions at linebacker and receiver, but for the most part, they're just solid guys that you can rely on um, across the board. And uh, they took Oklahoma State to the wire. They're they're a legit top ten team. 
Uh, they beat Central Florida, who granted is not as good as they've been in the past, but they're still really good football team. So um, excited to see how the Pirates turn, uh, come out and play Friday and, and see if they can make this a ball game. Yeah, I wanted to look back at last year's matchup real quick before we look forward. Uh, I forgot just how much of a, a bloodbath this was. Uh, I, I remember Tulsa won handily, but Tulsa led this game in the fourth quarter 42-10. to The final score ended up being 49-24, and, and Tulsa outgained ECU 669-383. to I, I don't remember the game being that lopsided. Then again, I probably flushed it from my memory pretty quick, but uh, Tulsa quarterback Zach Smith, who is back in that game, he went 21 of 30, 331 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. Uh, their running back, Shamari Brooks, 16 carries for 202 yards. That's a pretty good uh, yards per carry average. And he actually is out for this season with a torn ACL. Uh, they have some other guys coming in, uh, the Texas A&M transfer and also another guy coming back. So they still got some good running backs. But uh, I forgot just how much of a, a beatdown that was, Bobby. Yeah, my memory of it was I feel at that point in the season we were pretty good offensively knowing that they were, I think, maybe three wins at the time or, or two wins coming into that game thinking, man, we got a good shot here, especially at home. And uh, I, I want to say I turned it off in the third quarter. I think I was just so blown away and so frustrated with how quickly that game got out of hand that, that I might have turned it off just to – uh, calm myself down a little bit, honestly. Yeah, and I wondered, looking back at that box score, if that had something to do with Mike Houston making the defensive coordinator change. Because I remember that they just looked kind of helpless on defense that day. And I think that, you know, when when you get run over, granted, we talked about the talented team that they are, but when you get run over by a 4-8 and eight team like that in a game that was seemingly winnable, that, that probably leads to some changes along with the season as a whole. But, um, yeah, interesting game. ECU, the, the other thing I, I took away from this game last year – um, before we dive into these questions from, from the Hoist of Colors members, I remember how physical their DBs were. Um, they have some huge DBs, specifically some huge corners. I remember Allie Green, who's back this year, 6'3", 200 pounds. I mean, that is a gigantic corner. Uh, you look at ECU, they have like 5'8", 180-pound corners as their two starting cornerbacks in Jaquan McMillan and Malik Flynn. So a big difference. Uh, and I remember that C.J. Johnson specifically – he ended up having a pretty good day, six catches for 140 yards, but they were holding, grabbing him, doing everything they could to try to get into his head. There were some personal foul calls. There were a bunch of pass interference, and I expect that same approach again this Friday. And they did the same thing to Oklahoma State. I remember watching that game. Oklahoma State's got one of the top receivers in the country in Tylen Wallace, and they did the same exact thing to him, really shut him down to the fourth quarter. So uh, that's something ECU's got to be prepared for in this game. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you look at the tape this year so far, uh, what have defensive backs done to our receivers? They've been physical. They, they've tried to be at the line of scrimmage. So you wonder if those teams, uh, especially with it being uh, the first four games of the season, kind of took a glimpse back into the end of last year to see what teams did to us. And, and look, Rick Smith had the same approach uh, to defensive back play. Be physical because you're daring the referee to throw the flag every time. The referee is not going to want to throw a PI flag or a holding flag every time and slow the feel and the speed of the game down. They want this game to be flowing along just as much as any fan watching it. So, in a sense, they're daring the, the referee to throw the flag every time as well. And as we see, that's not going to happen. Um, all it does take offensively is to win one or two of those one-on-one matchups, and then you get them backing off a little bit uh, and not playing as physical at the point of attack. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'll be watching that the first few series uh, just to see kind of how ECU handles that because they did not handle it well against UCF. They didn't handle it well against Georgia State, so we'll see how that transpires. Uh, let's let's dive into some of these questions, Bobby. Uh, ECU Tulsa, again, we're previewing that game Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, Buck Wild 17, he wants to know what are Tulsa's offensive and defensive schemes. Uh, we kind of touched on this before we went on the air. But they run basically a spread RPO offense uh, with, with Zach Smith at quarterback, and then uh, defensively a three-three-five stack, which Donnie Kirkpatrick said is is kind of a unique defense, but it's coming more prevalent in college football. Just kind of, what do you think on, about their schemes, Bobby? Yeah, offensively, um, you know, Philip Montgomery comes from that R. Bryles Baylor tree. He was the offensive coordinator at, at Baylor for a while. Uh, one thing you'll see, and it, it looks like they're still doing it some, is uh, splitting those wide receiver splits really out uh, pretty far wide. Um, and what that does is makes a defense show their hand. Hey, are, are we going to play man up, cover one, cover zero, uh, get in the face of these receivers or at least line up head-to-head? Or are we going to have to show our hand that we're in a zone defense um, and kind of split the difference between the receivers and the offensive tackle? Uh, so that's one thing that does, and it just allows the quarterback to get a pre-snap read and an idea of what uh, the defense is going to do, uh, like I said, pre-snap. Um, they do the RPO game heavy. Uh, watching the South Florida game, it, it looked like a ton of RPO. Uh, they'll attach that tight end to the line of scrimmage. They'll have them off the ball for some split flow action, um, et cetera. But uh, the quarterback, he, he, he'll he make some questionable throws. He, he I know he had a pick early against South Florida, and then he got away with one or two that could have been interceptions. And, and looking back at his Baylor stats, uh, he threw the ball the opposing team quite a bit. Um, so that that's an opportunity to kind of jump on him and steal a pick early on and hopefully get some momentum. Um, defensively, 3-3-5, uh, three, three, uh, like you said, uh, it's becoming more prevalent. Um, but you know, one thing I found interesting is it wasn't – at least in the first quarter of South Florida, they were not bringing a lot of blitzes. They were using those guys, those those three guys up front to stop the run. And, and that just shows you how skilled those guys are. Uh, Collins is a freaking ball player. Uh, he can move. He is athletic. Um, They're going to have to run the ball uh, away from his side and try to try to threaten him with some RPO game to put him in a bind um, to hold him uh, in check. But uh, they were definitely uh, impressive across the board. Um, and the DB game, their DBs are, are solid. So um, we're going to have to win those one-on-one battles just like we've had to do uh, up to this point in the season. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Just a really solid defense all the way around uh, for Tulsa. And, and you bring up Zach Smith. We got a question about him a little later. I, I pulled up some of his stats versus pressure versus non-pressure from last year, which are pretty interesting, which we'll get into uh, via pro football focus. Uh our next question comes from Gore Jeremy. Uh, I guess this isn't Jeremy Grove, but uh, Gore Jeremy wants to know, since 2017, Tulsa has had a midseason multi-game losing streak every year. Everyone is saying that this is the best team ever for them. Over the years, I've heard that, and they have failed. Where do you think that we match up well against these guys? I'm thinking we can run on these guys. Yeah, they show 129 yards per game, but I think that's soft. Everyone they have played has been a throw first team um well I think this is the I think Tulsa last year had as much talent as I've ever seen and I think this year they're starting to put together the 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 wins I mean it's one of those situations where they could have easily won six or seven or eight games last year they just didn't finish and I think they're starting to finish games this year if you go to UCF and win and snap their 21 game winning streak that's legit in my opinion 
you hold Chuba Hubbard, who is a Heisman candidate for Oklahoma State, to 27 carries for 93 yards, it's, I think, 3.4 yards per carry. That's pretty legit. I think they are legit. I think maybe there are some ways you can attack them, but uh, this is the best Tulsa team I've seen, and I think it's probably the second or third best toughest team on ECU schedule. Just, just kind of what's your take on, on, on Tulsa, and can you attack them, Bobby? Yeah, I, I think Tulsa, like you said, is legit. Um, you know, they up there with Cincinnati and in, in one of the top two teams in the league, in my opinion. Obviously, they've beaten Central Florida head-to-head, so they probably have the upper hand there. But, um, you know, in terms of beating them in the run game and, and with our rushing attack, uh, we, we've shown the ability to run the ball the last two weeks, which is really encouraging. Uh, it seems like uh, Mike Houston and staff hit a home run with those two uh, running back recruits, and I know I believe you've written an article on it this week. Uh, about that and uh, so that's a that's that's a big part of the game because if we can establish the run early and control the ball and keep their offense off the field uh, that is only going to help us and, and increase our likelihood of winning um, in terms of Oklahoma State and Central Florida yes you know as them being spread air raid teams uh, we think of them as past heavy teams but but in all reality they want to establish the run um, and, and set the moment at the tempo of the ball game early on so um yeah, I, I'm excited to see how we come out and run the football against them. I think they bring uh, a lot of challenges defensively in their own way. Uh, they give a lot of different looks, and it's going to be critical for Holt Nailers to get a good pre-snap read and try to maybe maybe you'll see some hard counts just to see if they have some safety rotation and safety spin and then come back and reset and get a new play call in from Donnie Kirkpatrick, and that way maybe they can get an upper hand on what the defense is trying to do. Uh, S. Hall, Pirate 04, asks, ECU will win this game if blank happens. Uh, I think a lot goes into that. I think, number one, you can't turn the ball over. I think ECU's at a talent disadvantage in this game, and I think you have to win the turnover battle or at least come out even there. I think what you just said, they've got to establish a running game. Last year against Tulsa, they were not able to establish a run at all, and really the offense was shut down until, until garbage time late, so I think they have to establish a running game. You kind of mentioned that they really don't blitz a lot, and, and Donnie Kirkpatrick said that. He said they'll drop eight in the coverage and basically just dare you to run the ball in their front. And if you can't, that I mean, you just can't throw the ball consistently against eight-man coverage. So you got to find a way to get some traction in the running game. Uh, defensively, uh, you know, they're so balanced. I don't know what – I guess you have to take away the run or at least try to. So to me, you try to take away the run, put them in third and long, and then – and then pressure Zach Smith, which we'll get into. But uh, I'm sure you agree with a lot of those keys. They're pretty obvious, Bobby. But but what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, essentially the same keys to every ball game, right? Uh, establish and run, run the football so you can control the clock and the momentum of the football game, and then uh, create turnovers defensively uh, and take away the run, make them one dimensional. Uh, you know, in ECU's sake, uh, in the past, we've been worried about taking away the run, right, because that causes them to throw it, and our DBs are vulnerable. But it seems like uh, Coach Ellis and, and Coach Weaver have these DBs uh, uh, really playing well right now, uh, which is encouraging. Um, but like I said at the beginning of the podcast, a quarterback will throw the ball away. He'll make some, try to put it in some tight windows, so win that turnover battle, and, and jumping on them early is the key. Yeah, I think it, I think there's a lot of keys to this game. Anytime you're on the road against a team that's that's really good, it's going to be a challenge. Um, all right, we finally got a pronunciation guy from my guy, ECU Soterip. Uh, he also says ECU Pirates backwards works too. I think I'm going to go with that. So ECU Pirates backwards. Uh, he has a a 
question. He's also, he also has a pronunciation guide on Rajay Harris, uh, not Rajay, Rajay, as I called him, and as, as it says on his ECU Pirates profile. But uh, Rajay Harris, over under 80 yards for Rajay Harris against, uh, against Tulsa. I, you know, I'm going to let you go first, Bobby. I'm going to go ahead and take the, the over. I'm going to ride the momentum wave we've had the last couple of weeks. Um, it, it, it seems like Coach Shankweiler has these this offensive line gelling, uh, which we'd hoped. And uh, with the potential of Deontay Smith coming back, that allows you to slide Strother inside to guard, um, which in my opinion only strengthens Yo-Line as a unit. Um, and then Rajay Harris has been terrific. I mean, some of – some of his runs, there's one specifically against South Florida, one of his touchdown runs. He does such a great job of pressing the line of scrimmage and making that linebacker commit to a gap um, where he's able to, once that, that linebacker commits one way or the other, he, he makes a nice solid cut the other way. So he just just does such a great job of pressing the line of scrimmage and making that linebacker make a decision. And it also makes it easier on the offensive line because it sets up those blocks for them. Um, so I'm going to go with the over, uh, and, and also included in that is we've seen Donnie Kirkpatrick and Mike Houston's commitment to the run over the course of a game, whether it's working or not. Yeah, you know, initially I wanted to go under here because I feel like Tulsa will try to take away Rajay Harris, but, you know, kind of our conversation leads me to believe that they're, they're going to play more to take away the pass, and I think ECU has to come out and, and, and establish a run. And I think if you don't get over 80 yards with Rajay Harris or another running back, I don't think you can win this game. So I think ECU will commit to it. I don't think it'll be the biggest game. I don't think it'll be a 200-yard game or 150-yard game, but I think they'll, they'll, they'll have to stay steady with the run, hopefully get three to four yards to carry, continue to pick up some, some yards that way, maybe increase uh, one or two to have a big play. But uh, t- teams have had trouble running. I mean, we talked about Chuba Hubbard. I think Otis Anderson for UCF had like 17 carries for 83 yards. So you've got to really commit to it to have success. So, uh, and I think ECU, we, we've we've shown that they can do that. So, all right, let's move on now to our next question. Berg Pirate asks, "How do you scheme around Zaven Collins?" And this is an interesting question. Can you scheme? around a linebacker you said it earlier Bobby just don't run to his side or, or put him in conflict a lot how, how do you how do you take on a guy who's 6'4 260 pounds and he's playing stand-up linebacker yeah, no, yeah he does not look 260 on just watching the tv copy. yeah it's crazy that. I mean it that's insane and the and how well he moves and as explosive and quick twitch as he is yeah uh, it, it is a lot harder to scheme against a linebacker than it is a defensive lineman in my opinion um just because, you know, a D lineman, you know, is on the line of scrimmage most most of the time is going to rush. So against a pass, you can chip them or you can double team, whatnot. Uh, and then you can kind of uh, orchestrate the run game around it. But against a linebacker, it is difficult. Uh, you'd probably want to uh, run to the opposite side. It looked like he was on the weak side of their defense most of the time. Um, and then it, just in conflict in the passing game is a lot of RPO stuff, play action, make him hold his water a little bit um, and so that he can't just – quickly see high hat pass drop back into coverage, but he has to hold his ground a little bit that may allow the receiver to sneak in behind him on a slant or a dig route, uh, et cetera. Yeah. It's one of those things. Tulsa moves him around a lot too. They'll sometimes on third and long, they'll slide him into an edge wrestling position because he's so big and you almost have to know where he is pre-snap every snap. He's one of the few guys I think in this conference where you, you have to 
have to really know where he is playing and playing out. Tulsa had a guy like that last year who's now in the NFL. He was a defensive end, but I don't know where they get these guys, man. But uh, I think he was like 6'4", 210 when he got there, and he's just blossomed into what he is now. Uh, Berg Pirate also asked, does our passing game come together this week? Well, I tell you what, it, it, it'll be more together than it was against Navy. I think having Holt Naylor's back is going to make a, a gigantic difference. It was clear, you know, as much talent as Mason Garcia has, he just wasn't ready to be at, at that type of spot. I still think he has a very bright future, but the, the really the only game we've seen it come together is USF and the offense as a whole. But even then you had multiple drops where Holton probably could have had a 300 yard day. I, I think, you know, you got to clean up the drops. You got to have good protection. Uh, they got to find a way to beat this press physical coverage, which, which has been a, a problem so far this season. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not as optimistic about the passing game as I am the running game. Um, you know, even though Holton Aylers is back, he still is away from, you know, practice and whatnot, uh, for a week or so. So he's, he's coming back a little sluggish. He's going to have to, you know, get that chemistry back here this week. Um, and then on a short week, obviously, because we co- we're coming off the bye, we were able to really have a normal practice routine, practice Saturday, um, and, and kind of just push the week up a day. But, yeah, I, I think what we've seen is teams get in our face, press our receivers. And, look, if I'm, if I'm a defensive coach for Tulsa, I am not scared of any of our receivers right now. They have done – yes, Sneed's made some catches. Pro is making some catches. They're making some competitive catches. But just athletically, we don't scare anybody right now at the receiver position outside of uh, C.J. Johnson and Omatosha. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, you got it. <laughs> um, so we're not – outside of those two guys, really physically, we're not scaring anybody. And, and until we prove otherwise that we can win those one-on-one matchups – consistently we're going to consistently see press coverage man to man and hey you beat me before i back off and and so right now i'm not as confident hopefully it will click uh maybe we'll see some more motioning maybe some bunch formations to to get those dbs back a little bit we'll see uh but i do think if it's not this week we will see at some point in the click i'm just not as confident this week yeah, it's one of those things where we, we've seen ECU specifically against Cincinnati last year and SMU to an extent really beat man coverage a lot, and then other times they've really struggled with it. You know, remember CJ against Cincinnati? They were at press man all day, and he kept toasting him deep. Granted, he had 285 yards, I think, of the uh, of the 535 yards Holt Naylor's had passing. So a lot of it comes down to CJ really beating it. I think you you have to count on CJ to, to make some plays. And Donnie said the other day that Omatosho is one of the better guys at beating press coverage uh, because he's so quick off the line of scrimmage. So I think we need to see him maybe step up a little bit in a game like this. Because to me, you know, Blake and, and Snead aren't going to be those guys that beat a defense deep off man coverage. They're more guys that succeed underneath against the zone. So I think this is a game for Omatosho and CJ to step up. So we'll see what happens yeah. there. It's been great to see Omatosho and CJ on the field at the same time. That uh, puts a little bit more concern in the defensive coordinator's mind when you have those two athletes on the field, and I think you hit it on the head with Snead. Like, I remember watching Cole Beasley for so long with the Cowboys, and he just pisses you off because he finds that open zone. Like, he's just so shifty, so small, and he can find that open zone and makes a crucial third down catch. So I'm not taking anything away from Snead or pro athletically. They're much better athletes than myself, but – um, they have their niches and press coverage is probably not one of them. 
Uh, Berg Pirate also asks, what is Bobby's favorite memory of beating Tulsa? Yeah, that's uh, probably the easiest one is the Justin Jones catch. Um, that was my first year helping out with the football team in some capacity and just being on the sideline for that was was really exciting, really fun. Uh, right before that last play that Dominique Davis threw the Hail Mary, I remember kind of packing some things off, up on the sideline, being pissed off. But uh, just from my coaching days, it was probably the 2015 season uh, when Philip Montgomery had just gotten hired. They came to Greenville and uh, I know we were a little worried about them putting up some points because I believe they had, uh, you know, put up at least 24 points every game and we held them under 20. Um, so that was a big deal. And, you know, they had a winning record coming in and it, uh, with the first time head coach, you have a winning record. Um, you know, the, the momentum's on your side. So that was a big win for us. And honestly, I was the way the season had been going, I was a little surprised, but uh, uh, definitely happy to see W. So that's probably my biggest uh, memory from Tulsa. That was the game. Didn't Hawkins have a pick six? I know he had a big, at least a big pick. Uh, that was a that was a that was a good play. So one of the speaking of Josh Hawkins, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> Man, poor guy. Yeah, I think got to make some uh, better decisions knowing you're a fringe NFL player and uh, knowing that COVID is a. Uh, a uh, real issue right now with uh, the NFL teams and in, in trying to play games each and every week, especially the Panthers just had a couple COVID cases themselves. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's tough for Josh. Hopefully he can bounce back uh, and, and get another shot. All right, Mikey Noki asked, this is, this is a hard question to answer, but I guess we'll try. Do you predict drop passes will be better this game and why? I feel like that is uh, – I mean, I'm sure they've been working on it relentlessly. I heard uh, Drew Dudzik say the other day in an interview with Pirate Radio that they've that's been an emphasis. But sometimes you can overemphasize it and it becomes mental. So uh, it's just you got to go out there and catch the ball. I don't really know if there's anything more to it than that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, it's be, especially with CJ. I feel like it's become a, a mental game. Hopefully, the bye week getting away from it a little bit and then emphasizing it in practice will help. But uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things you just have to go out and do it. And uh, unfortunately, I think it has become a, a little mental hurdle uh, for these receivers. But hopefully this bye week has given them some time uh, to kind of uh, regather themselves and, and, and hit restart on at the receiver position. Uh, ECU Soterip or ECU Pirates backward, he has another question. Is C.J. Johnson experiencing a sophomore slump or are opponents taking him out of the game with their game plan? He should be able to beat press coverage fairly easily because of the, his weight, but I believe you've mentioned opponents are pressing him this year. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, and we talked about it earlier. Yeah, the, the opponents are just being physical with him, and that's something that even though he is a big guy, he doesn't have a ton of quickness because of the weight. So he's almost got to out-physical uh, the guy who's trying to be physical with him. So I, I don't know. Sophomore slump, maybe you can say that to an extent, but – um, there are a lot of expectations and pressure on him, and I, I don't think COVID helped him. From my understanding, he dealt with some some medical issues from that, and you know struggled with that a little bit coming back. So I think he's been a little rusty and is just now getting back into it. And and if it, it's like you said, if you're a defensive coordinator, your number one priority every week is to take away C.J. Johnson. I think we're seeing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think it's as much of a sophomore slump as it. He's getting their best defensive back as well. as the health issues, 
uh, and then combined with just some of the mental game and the mental pressure uh, being from Greenville, he's hearing it a lot. He heard it a lot last year from the community, from ECU, uh, people recognizing him, walking around campus, walking around town. Um, and that that's stay humble with. And, and I'm not saying he's cocky by any means. I'm just saying uh, it's easy to get to your head um, and that and continue to put even more pressure on yourself. And I think that's what he's doing. I think he has some confidence issues right now uh, catching the football. And, uh, look, he's not going to be quick off the ball, beat you on a go route, and just flat out burn you. Where he's going to really win, and I think once you'll, you'll see him you'll see him grow once he starts doing this, is, hey, getting off press coverage, winning those slant routes, using his big frame and big body to get in between himself and the defender. Um, and then once he can do that, he's winning the, the fade game and et cetera. Got a few more questions here from the Hoist of Colors message board. Pirate 38 asks, if we were betting men, do we think ECU covers the 19-point spread? Um, geez, I've been going back and forth on this one all week. I don't, For some of the reasons we talked about, I don't love this matchup for ECU. Honestly, if I was a betting man, I would stay away from this game. I could certainly see them playing Tulsa close for some of the reasons we talked about, but I just think Tulsa's so good in the trenches, and ECU still has some some work to do there that I would personally stay away from it. Yeah, that that's a that's a tough one. I feel, I mean, Vegas is so good at setting those lines, aren't they? Yes. Um, I mean, it is their job, but um, yeah, I, I think just a couple of factors with that. You know, Tulsa has never been known for their game day atmosphere, so uh, it, it's even with the COVID restrictions, you know, it's still going to be quiet in there, uh, but probably about as quiet as it normally is on a normal season. Um, hate the fact that it's a road game during the week, but being honest, watching them against South Florida, uh, they started out really slow. I think it finally started to click. And if ECU can, and like I said, control that clock, that's why I talk about running, being able to run the football. If they can take control of the game early, then you start – making Tulsa pressure a little bit and starting to question themselves. Um, and they're probably riding pretty high right now. This is the best record they've had in a long time. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say the do cover. I'm going to be optimistic pirate fan and uh, say they cover. Yeah. I'll be intrigued to see how they handle the success because uh, some, one of their writers pointed out this week, it's been a long time since they've been patted on the back consistently. And now you get a team, if you're Tulsa that you should beat on paper in ECU and I think ECU, I think ECU remembers last year's game. I know they're not going to say it going into this game, but I think it's very similar to the Navy and USF games in that they were pretty embarrassed, and I think that'll play a role this weekend. Uh, Bobby, let's run into a few more of these. Uh, ECU Jackie Moon asked, does uh, Darius Penix see the field more in a fullback role this week? Uh, well, we haven't even 100% confirmed Penix will be back. I might, we actually talked to Mike Houston after practice today. I'm going to ask about the, the status of Penix and Tank Robinson and a few others. We'll see. But assuming he's back, you know, I think, A, he's your third running back. Yeah, I think he'll get carries behind Keaton and Raji. Uh, I mess it up again. Rajay Harris. Uh, but, uh, you know, ECU just – they don't use a, full, a traditional fullback. So it's almost like he – you know, he did line up in the – in the slot a little bit, which I thought was interesting against South Florida. they, You know, I could see more of an H-back type role or a guy that split out kind of like a tight end off the line of scrimmage. I think that's more of the role you're going to see more so than lining up in a traditional fullback stance. 
Yeah, agreed. We we haven't seen that yet from Donnie's offense here. I, Lincoln did it with Zico pursuit kind of offset and that pistol offset formation, and we just haven't shown that yet. Um, and the hard thing for him to move to that uh, kind of Y off position is, you know, we got two really good bodies there in Calhoun and Lewis that uh, are able to move pretty well. I think we'll see uh, from Penix more just like we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, special plays designed for him or that he's involved. Cause you can tell when we were winning that ball game at, towards the end of the game, they put him in to run the football. So obviously they have a lot of trust in Darius Penix. And so I think we'll see him running in a late game situation if we hold the lead, but also in those special play uh, formations that, that we draw up because they know he can handle it mentally and, and he can be trusted uh, going out there to execute his job. Yeah, and he still grades out as ECU's best pass protector, so you could see him on third and long. We know he can catch the ball. He's got three three catches this year, or he's got three targets, two catches for two touchdowns. So, I mean, when they throw it to him, like you said, it's a design play. And so, I think we – I would like to see ECU take more advantage of just the check downs in general. It just seems like we, we very rarely see that, Bobby, in, in terms of Holton. If his first or second read isn't there, they never hit the check down. It, it almost has to be a design play. Yeah, that's one thing you, you wish, like you said, hopefully, and you thought might evolve, you know, with an extra year in the offense. And um, hopefully that, that continues to trend this way and, and just working through the zone. I think a part of that, though, is Holton not having all the time in the world to go through his progressions. Uh, so that is is part of it, too. But, yeah, I would like to see him check it down a little bit more. And I think offensively we, we may see, as I mentioned earlier, uh, just like a hard count at the line of scrimmage, just to see if those safeties spin or you see some kind of rotation uh, to get see what you're going to get defensively, and that way you can reset and, and and call your play from there. That way you have a little bit of a advantage against the defense. All right, our final question coming from Emerald City Pirate. He wants to know, how does Zach Smith compare to the other quarterbacks face this year, and how can ECU's pressure – be effective against him um bobby i'll first get your take on what you've seen from zach smith and i've got some numbers from pro football focus which are interesting against his pressure or the pressure he faced last year in particular uh but first what have you seen from zach smith he seems to have a great arm and at least talent wise yeah i think he's your you know prototypical air raid quarterback right he's he's what you've seen in the mike leach offenses he can sit back there he can sling it uh he knows where he's going with the football I believe he transferred from Baylor, so he had some experience in that system and then coming over to Tulsa and playing. And to the other quarterbacks, Navy, we can get them out of it. They don't really count at the quarterback position. It's a running back. Um, South Florida just had so many issues at quarterback, it's really hard to compare. Uh, So when you look at the Central Florida guy, uh, I think the difference there, uh, Central Florida's guy can obviously sling it and place it, but he's more of a threat with his legs, um, whereas – Tulsa is not as much of a threat with their uh, running quarterback. So he's he's more of a guy that's going to drop back and throw it and uh, try to pick you apart that way. Like I said, I've seen he's, he's going to make some risky throws and try to fit it in there, a little Kurt Ben Kurt-esque, um, but he's going to try to thread the needle to make a big play. So last year facing pressure, Zach Smith, according to Pro Football Focus, when he did not have pressure, which Pro Football Focus grades these guys on a scale of 1 to 100, he graded out at 89.1 under no pressure in terms of, in their evaluation, no pressure on him. You know, he didn't have to move in the pocket, that sort of stuff. He had a uh, 64% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns to four picks. When he faced pressure, 
which was on 175 dropbacks. His offensive grade dipped to 31.9. He had five picks, 41% completion percentage, three touchdowns, and only uh, five yards per attempt. So, now obviously any quarterback is going to – his numbers are going to take a hit under pressure, but that dramatic of a difference, Bobby, I think that kind of speaks for itself. I mean, usually you see a pretty significant drop, but not that significant of a drop. So, uh, I, I, and you know, they do break it down in terms of uh, against the blitz versus not blitz, and it does kind of when teams blitzed him, he did have success when they did not get there. So you do have to be careful and pick your spots, but it's clear when you get pressure on Tulsa's quarterback he is prone to mistakes and I think we'll see Blake Carroll mix it up quite a bit as a result yeah exactly those numbers right there uh tell you uh Blake Carroll's already trigger happy uh and he may be a little bit more trigger happy this week um like you said uh that that's what's interesting to me is when the offensive lineman and the uh running back is able to pick up the blitz how successful is he uh and as you said he seems to be a little bit more successful because that's the vulnerability when you do blitz and you don't hit home is you put those DBs in one-on-one coverage. Um, I have been very pleased, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with the DB play. So hopefully they can step up. I think if we can hit home a couple of times and, and create a turnover or two, I think the, the coverage disguise is going to be crucial this week against a quarterback who is really comfortable in this system. Yeah, Bobby, one final thing before we get you out of here. Um Something that hasn't really been talked about a lot, and we didn't get a question about it, but it looks like it'll be a cold weather game in the forty in the in the forties temperature wise. You know, we talked about this is actually Tulsa's first home game, which is hard to believe as we sit here in late October due to all the COVID stuff. And before I forget, I have heard some rumors that Tulsa had a few positive tests, and this is unconfirmed. But you know, we're on a podcast, so I just want to throw it out there. Uh, I have heard that they had some some. They've had some positive test issues coming out of the USF game, so that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe they're missing a, f- a few guys uh, for Friday night's game. But the, the cold weather thing, ECU historically has never been a good cold weather team. You know this. Uh, I don't have to remind you of the Temple game, uh, which, by the way, was the most miserable conditions I've ever experienced in my life. So I don't I understand it. Uh, but does, does that concern you at all? Do you think it, it could be a good thing for where Mike Houston is leading this team? What's kind of your thoughts on that? Or does it not really matter? I think once, you know, the whistle blows and, and the ball is kicked in the air, I don't think it matters. I think the biggest thing concerned for me with ECU going in with it being a cold weather game is what the weather has been here in Greenville. It's been 70 degrees. It's been great outside. I mean, uh, it's still hot enough to get a good sweat in at practice. So um, that's what concerns me is they're going now uh, to – an element where it's going to be 30 degrees colder than what they've probably experienced out at practice. Uh, so that is a little bit concerning. Um, but I think once they get through pregame warmups, their body and their blood gets flowing and warmed up. Uh, I think they'll be fine. Um, it will take a little bit of adjustment. I'll, I'll be interested if, if Holton has, uh, you know, one of those pads in the front to keep his hands warm or whatnot, just so he can get a good, keep a good grip on the football. But outside of that, um, yeah, and thanks for bringing up the temple memory. That was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, that man. That was uh, not a good game. Brutal. Yeah, that one was brutal. I think that that one in the Cincinnati game come to mind um, uh, when we played at the Bengal Stadium and it was snowing pregame. So, uh, yeah, those were not two two pretty uh, unenjoyable experiences. Yeah, and that was the uh, the the debut, I believe, of the all white unis, uh, the white helmets and and everything. I was a big fan of that, and people still hate it to this day because they never won. But I love that look. 
So I got two things here with uniform. I want them to come back with the white helmet and do the white, purple, white. I think that looks really clean. That's probably one of my favorite looks. TCU pulls it off so well, and that's where I get that idea from. Um, and then a friend of mine uh, and I were talking about this. How about the gold jersey coming back? What do we think? I'm not saying that gold and purple are all gold by any means because I think that would look crazy. And I know Pirate fans will probably hate this idea. But I would love the gold jersey to come back as a fun little alternate or even even let's bring back the, the blocked ECU that was across the old school helmets or, you know, the, the stri- three stripe sleeves, those those kind of old school looks. I would I would definitely embrace here because uh, I am tired of seeing the uh, purple purple pumpkin eaters coming out um, <laughs> all purple. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the uh, Adidas stripes. The, the, the Auburn has it now with a, you know, they had their classic jerseys. And, of course, it's blue, orange, and white. But I, I, ECU could pull that off in this century. I mean, it's not like they, it's not like it's a total throwback, but I don't understand why they haven't done that throwback. It, it's probably the most loved jersey of all ECU fans. Not only did you have the success, but the flying ECU block helmet uh, and the, the just the jersey and the stripe on the pants. Like, the whole thing was just sharp. And now I just feel like, it, yeah, it's clean, and, and just now it's not the same. And I don't, I don't hate the jerseys now. I just don't, I don't love them either. Uh, gold jerseys, I can't do it, Bobby. I'm sorry, I can't get behind the gold jerseys. And I'm not saying a routine thing. I, I think when we got the black jerseys, we definitely got a little bit carried away with uh, running out in the black, black uniforms. But I think just a once a year kind of. Deal, or maybe let's try it one time and see if we get a W. If we do, I think everybody will be back on board with the gold. And uh, I know we haven't mentioned basketball yet because this is a pregame Tulsa podcast, but those basketball uniforms need some adjustments too. <laughs> yeah, they do. In fact, Adidas needs to just bring over their whole department and redo some things uh, based upon their contract with ECU. You know, we heard so much about it from Jeff Comper and Shelly Benninger that hasn't come true. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say with those black jerseys, we're getting way off topic here. But you guys, y'all kept wearing them because y'all kept beating people's ass in them. I mean, really, y'all, y'all wore the all black. Y'all crushed UNC on the road in that 2013 game. And then I think it just kind of manifested from there. You wore them again against UNC at Virginia Tech because teams kept going with the white out at home. And, and that allowed y'all to wear the black. And until the UCF Hail Mary, which, sorry, by the way, another poor memory, that was the jersey that – that really won every game it seemed like yeah that was uh one cool thing about rough is he'd get three or four of the guys together uh wednesday after practice and ask them what uniforms they'd want to wear so this the players got to pick so that was a big part of it uh it was really cool um you said it there yourself uh jeff comfer and comfer and shelly vinegar said some things that didn't quite come true, and that seems to be uh, a regular occurrence as we're coming to find out. Oh, I forgot he um, he sh- who shall not be named. We're we're messing up. We're messing up. Come on, yeah. I mean, you're getting me so fired up right now, bringing those two names into this podcast, and uh, yeah, I, they hated the black, and uh, I think that was another reason that added to uh, our black, and we have them to thank for the uh, beautiful display of black jerseys we had. Was it? 2016, the uh, the faded numbers and all that crap that we wore. That was the worst. I, I don't even know what those jerseys were trying to accomplish, but I'm glad that they retired those after that one game. Yeah, what a disaster. 
All right, Bob, we'll get you out of here, man. I know you're busy. Uh, great, great preview of Tulsa ECU. Also, it's always fun to talk uniforms, so I'm always here for that. We'll have a uniform-specific podcast next offseason because I believe next year ECU does get new jerseys, so I'll try to get some inside scoop on. Uh, or they're supposed to get new jerseys from Adidas. We'll see if it actually happens. But, uh, Bobby, we appreciate the time, and uh, we'll get you on again. Hopefully you're the good luck charm and ECU pulls out a W. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me, Stephen. I uh, definitely enjoyed being on the podcast. Appreciate all you do for Hoist the Colors. I, I know I've told you before, I think you do an awesome job uh, covering ACU athletics and just so informative and knowledgeable of ECU. So it's it's really enjoyable to get on there and read um, from a fan's perspective, and I appreciate all the work you do. And would definitely uh, love a uniform podcast and, and honestly some uh, message board input, maybe like a poll of favorite uniforms and – Maybe we do like a NCAA bracket and, and match up football uniforms against each other and make it way through. I like uh, that idea. I like that idea a lot. And that was, I thought about doing that during the COVID pandemic. If the season got canceled, doing like all sorts of brackets, but luckily the season is being played, but that sounds like a good summer idea. So we can, we can get that going next summer, but uh, yeah. It. Awesome. Man. Well, all right, Bobby, I'll get you out of here. Yeah. Uh, appreciate it, dude. Yeah. Thank you. See you, man. All right, that is Bobby Harward. Again, thanks for his insight for the ECU and Tulsa preview. And that'll do it for our podcast this week. Again, ECU, Tulsa going at it Friday night, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. We'll have coverage for you all game long on hoistacolors.net. Also wanted to let you guys know we're running a special right now on the website. This will last through Friday night, so through the game. You can get 50% off. If you're not a subscriber right now, you can get 50% off your annual subscription to Hoist the Colors. That will take you through the rest of this season, signing day, baseball season, basketball season, spring practice, and the start of next football season for less than $5 per month on average. So if you're not a subscriber with us but you're a listener to the podcast, definitely check that out. We have all sorts of fun VIP content for our subscribers and we'll continue to uh to bring that coverage to them uh throughout uh next year and of course throughout the, the remainder of time hopefully but uh check out that uh subscription special 50 percent off on hoistacolors.net all right that'll do it i am your host steven igo uh, it was a pleasure being joined by you guys and bobby to preview tulsa and ecu we'll be back with you after the game for our post-game podcast until then you've been listening to hoist the colors